Hello, y'all. Uh, welcome to RUF. My name is Simon Stokes. I'm the RUF campus minister here. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you at some point. Um, and here at RUF, let me say this, that RUF is a place for people who are tired. It's a place for people who are skeptical. It's a place for people who are committed. Uh, because RUF is a place where people can struggle. And we think that struggle is a part of what it is to be a person, uh, especially about what it is to be a Christian. So if you're here tonight and you're struggling, you struggle with sin, you struggle with what to do in the world and who you are, uh, with who God is, like, welcome. Like, me too. This is what this place is. Um, so thanks for being here. I'm glad to serve you as your campus minister. I'd love to, like I said, meet with you at some point if I can at all. Um, so let's get started. It's Oscar season, and with that, there's just kind of a flurry of movies out um, and one of the movies that came out recently was a Reese Witherspoon movie. I don't know if you saw this or not. It's called Wild. Um, it tells uh, the story of a young woman named Cheryl Strayed. It's a real story. And essentially what happens in her life is that somehow, I don't know the full story myself, but somehow uh, she and her mom were in college together. Like her mom, obviously older, goes back to college at the same time as her daughter is in college. And they were like super, super tight. Uh, but their last year of college, her senior year, her mom is diagnosed with lung cancer. And like one thing leads to another, and kind of the way cancer sometimes is, her mom passes away three months after the diagnosis. And Cheryl's life just kind of like hits the fan. And in just a few years, she had run into a marriage and then run out of a marriage. She had become addicted to drugs, especially to heroin. And then as her life hit rock bottom, she makes this really bold decision. Someone uh, hands this 26-year-old drug-addicted divorcee uh, a book on hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And she was not an outdoorsy person at all. She'd never really been a hiker or a camper. Um, But something about the idea of hiking this 2,600-mile trail, which goes from the border with Canada all the way through Washington State, Oregon, along the coast of California along the Sierra Nevada, down almost to Mexico, just captivated her. Um, And by herself, as she walked this trail, as she went through the forest, as she walked along the coast, as she saw nature and all of its glory, this story really became a metaphor for her life and that she found real healing in nature. And the beauty and the power and the grandeur of these places helped put Cheryl back together in some way. She had so much experience with loss and addiction, and yet nature in some ways pointed her back to something beyond herself so she could get out of her problems and get out of herself and be healed. You know, I think Cheryl's story is probably a lot more intense than most of us have experienced, but I think it points to that experience that a lot of us have had, where, you know, you get away for a weekend at the mountains or the beach, and there's just something about that place or that space, where it just kind of puts you back together, doesn't it? Where you see something grand, something beyond yourself, that helps you gain perspective on who you are. Or you look at like a Hubble Space Telescope picture of like a nebula that is just light years across, and there's like these red and orange and blue stars inside of it, and it's beautiful. And you think, man, that's wonderful. This is incredible. It's just awe-inspiring. You know, what is it about being out in nature or seeing the natural beauty of the world that helps us to get out of ourselves and sometimes even find some real healing of the soul? And on the other hand, like, why isn't that ever enough? 
Why do we need more than nature to be put back together? Why do we need to actually know the one who stands behind nature? Why do we need to know God? And why do we need his Bible? You see, I think our problem is this, is that we all want to find God on our own terms and have kind of a love relationship with him, which is a good thing. And yet we kind of still want to do it on our own and have our own kind of authority in that to push him back where we don't want him to be. But I think unless we approach God through his word, we'll never have the love relationship we want or need. We always need his word to truly know him and to be in a real relationship with him. So I have two points to make tonight. What do we know of God through his world? And then what do we know of God through his word? What do we know of God through his world? What do we know of God through his word? So let's read Psalm 19 together. We'll get started here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving His chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired today than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray for us in the start. Father, we, uh, we echo the words of your sweet psalmist, of David. We say, Lord, that may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, we pray and know that our hearts and our words and our whole being are only acceptable through your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that tonight he would be lifted up and glorified and that we would know one another through him, that we would know ourselves through his work, and we would know you through your word, which points to him as our Savior. In your sense, we pray. Amen. So, you know, I think everyone lives and experiences part of the truth of God's world. Like, that's inescapable, right? Like, you just can't get away from living in God's world. Look at verses 1 through 3. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor their words whose voice is not heard. Everyone who lives in the world has to live by some truth. Everybody. Like, can a, a scientist who's not a Christian make real discoveries in the world? Yes. Or can an artist who's a Muslim say something really true about the world? Yes, absolutely. Can other world religions or belief systems at times say something true about human nature? Or the existence of a God? Yeah. It would be foolish to say they know nothing because they live in God's world. They experience something of who God is and His character, His attributes. 
people make discoveries, they know something, and yet they miss the one who makes those discoveries possible. But they still live in God's world. They still operate in some ways by the rules that he makes. Everybody has to live according to the laws of gravity, right? Everybody has to live according to the speed of light. Everybody can know something about the world. It's impossible to get away from it. Because here's the thing, we were made to inhabit a world full of truth and goodness and beauty. And on some level, truth, goodness, and beauty are what we all long for. We love those things. And modern culture has kind of obscured both the truth and the goodness part by saying there's no firm foundation for truth. And we can't really know what's right or what's wrong in the world. But no one can deny the existence of beauty. And beauty drives us to truth. Because for some of you, that's important. Because you love the beauty of the world. You love hikes. You love the mountains. You love animals. But you don't know why. Like, what is the reason that coral reefs are so beautiful? And that the fish that swim around them are gorgeous? Or that mountains are so grand? There's something to enjoy, but is there something higher that, that the mountains reflect? Is there? Because otherwise, mountains are just a pile of rocks. And the oceans are just a bunch of water with some fish in it. And a beloved person is just kind of a bag of chemicals. It's maybe a little bit more than the sum of its parts. And what this psalm is saying is that when you find those things lovely, and it makes your heart sore, it's because you're hearing their testimony of the beauty and the truth and the goodness of the one who made them. That the whole world murmurs and points back to the God who made it. Because the beauty of the world is meant to move us from the beautiful thing that you see. That coral reef, that mountain, that person, that moon. To the fullness of the beauty that it points to. To the God who made the world. And the biblical view of the world is that the universe is like this piece of art that points back to the wisdom and the power and the majesty of the artist that made it. And the size and the scale and the age of the mountains and oceans, we don't directly see the immensity and the power and the eternity of God, but we see something of those traits worked out in the world. And life for all of us is meant to be this pilgrimage to experiencing and enjoying the fullness of the beauty of God. But on our own, we're always muddling and never finding it, aren't we? The Christian view of people is that by nature, everyone is like this traveler at night. That by nature, we live in this world that's just, it's like it's pitch black, without lights or with cars, and you're just kind of walking along, bumping into kind of a flood of people. And you're not sure where the road is. You're not sure what's up ahead. You're just kind of tapping your foot forward and trying to muddle your way through life as much as possible. But every now and again, there's like this lightning flash. You see something beautiful or gorgeous, and it illuminates the landscape around you. So you can make some sense of something. But as quickly as that lightning flash happens, it's over. And the dark is there again. And before you even had an opportunity to take a step, let alone be directed on the right road and safely arrive at your destination, you're plunged back into darkness. I think some of you all really identify with that because it can feel like you're wandering through life. Like, why am I here? What am I doing? How am I supposed to do this thing? And things like the national parks and volcanoes and the stars wheeling in the jet black sky, they act like a mirror to reflect the glory and the power of the one who made them. 
They're like this lightning flash that shows us, man, there's something more here. Come this way. But they don't show us Him. They show us something of who He is. And their reflection is just... And the one that we see is just a reflection of His grandeur. So this takes us to our second point. What do we know of God through His Word? What do we know of God through His Word? Look at how David describes what God's Word does here. That it revives the soul, that it makes the simple wise, that it rejoices the heart, that it enlightens the eyes, that it's to be desired more than gold, even lots of gold. The Hebrew there is gold, gold. Like the most gold that is gold is what God's Word is supposed to be desired more than. God's Word enables us to make our way through life Not because on our own we see better than others, but because it shows us the one who is light himself. You see God's world points back to himself. It tells us of his existence, his power, his wisdom. But God's word does something even better. It pulls back the curtain and shows us God's character. It doesn't just reveal things about God, it actually reveals to us who God is. And sometimes when we read the Bible we get frustrated with it because we don't see ourselves in it when we read it. Like, what does this passage have to say about my boyfriend? Or about my GPA? Like, where am I at in this passage? But the thing is, the Bible's not about us. It's about God and His work. It's about who He is and how He would have us respond. The Bible is telling this grand story where God creates the world, where our sin breaks the world, and where God redeems and recreates the world through the work of Jesus Christ. Think about this. When we come into this room, I think a lot of us are looking to, as we come in to say, all right, I want a loving relationship with God. Like when I sit in this seat, when I sing these songs, that's what I'm here for. I want that loving relationship. And to that I say, you know, me too. Don't you want a loving relationship with God? That's my assumption here, right? Well, think about this. In a personal relationship, isn't it true that if the other person always wins the kind of the battles in the relationship or always wins the point that the that the person that you're in that relationship with that's not winning, their rights are being trampled on. That that person is being trampled on. That it's not a real relationship unless there's some give or take, right? Where someone gets to push back a little bit and say, no, 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 this is the way I want things to be or this is what I want for you. There was a movie that came out a few years ago called The Stepford Wives. It was a remake of an older <laughs> version of the same movie. It has uh, Nicole Kidman and Bette Midler in it. Um, And the premise of the movie is pretty interesting. It's these husbands who are very wealthy, I think on the East Coast, they get tired of having this real relationship with their wives where like their wives push on them and don't let them do what they want to do. And so one of them, I don't know how, he, uh, he develops some sort of microchip where he can put it behind the wife's ear and she will automatically just do what he wants her to do. And she becomes this kind of yes dear robot. And as you watch the movie, Nicole Kidman like kind of sees through this, breaks out of it. She and Bette Midler team up, and they turn the tables on the guy in the end. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> but the point of that is, is that without a real relationship where there's a push-pull, there's someone pushing on you saying, no, I need this, no, I want this, no, this is what we need to do here, that the other person is just this kind of yes-dear robot, Right? Here's my question for you. If you have a real love relationship with God, how does He contradict you? How does He push against you? 
Or is he just this kind of like yes dear robot? Is it always your way? Or does God get to have his way at times too? And say, this is not how I made you. You know, not all of your desires are good. I want these other things for you. How would he push on you in that? I think he would do it through the Bible. I think we'd ask ourselves, you know, if there's so much truth in the world, why don't we all just automatically know God? Like, everyone is born with certain innate moral principles of right and wrong. Everyone lives surrounded by God's truth. Why don't we all just know Him? And the answer the Bible gives us is, as to why we all don't just know God is that there's something in people that maybe don't want to know. That the story that started in the garden continues to the present day. And in that, it's not God who's hiding. It's us. I mean, the heavens declare God's glory. Day to day pours forth knowledge. I mean, think about it like this. All right, we hate it when other sinful people contradict us. You hate it when your friends catch on to that white lie that you told and call you out on it, right? Like, I hate that. I hate that feeling. Or you feel exposed when someone puts a finger on that delicate, insecure part of yourself. And a lot of our life is built around keeping that from happening with other people. But imagine that the person seeing you or putting their finger on your heart of hearts was not another sinner, but was someone who was totally other. That that person was infinite, eternal, unchangeable, just, and good. That's intimidating, right? We want a real relationship with this God, but we're afraid of what that might mean for us. It's like saying, I want a real relationship with this man or this woman, but I never want them to tell me no, or to try to help me grow as a person. But that's not a real relationship. That's a yes, dear robot. We need a Bible that gives us wisdom, that shows us who we are, that makes God more than a yes, dear robot, that shows us a real relationship with Him. You know, the goal of the Bible is not to make you feel guilty. The goal, as it talks about our sin, and it talks about who we are, is to help you live authentically in the world and actually deal with both the dignity and the depravity of who we are. How so? Look at verse 12 through 14 here. Who can discern their errors? Declare the innocent person declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David's praying here, and he's someone whose will has been crossed. He's not running, he's not hiding, his heart's been pricked. And do you see what he's saying here? He's saying, God, I'm self-aware enough to know that I don't know. And I don't know all the ways that I hurt other people. And I don't know all the ways that I act against you. And unless you work in my life, I won't be able to stop. Apart from your work, I'm going to get dominated. God's word here has done its work. And it's proven itself precious by showing David who he is. And who God is. And it's kind enough to show him where he falls short. And that would be a recipe for condemnation if it just left us there. But then look at this. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep me from these sins. And then I'll be blameless. God, work in my life. Declare me right. David knows that unless God works in his life in a really significant way, then nothing is going to change for him. He wants the words of his mouth, he wants the meditations of his heart to be acceptable. 
He wants his insides to match his outsides. He wants to be an authentic person. But look at how he ends. Because this is how he gets there. He calls God his rock and his redeemer. Lord, you're the one on which I stand. You're the one that I can trust. You're the one when everything is falling around about around me, I can trust you and stand on you. And God's word is constantly pointing us towards that person. God's word is not even about itself. It's about the one that speaks it. The goal of the Bible is not to try to get you to deal with rules or to give you more rules. The goal of the Bible is to set you free and to give you wings by helping you deal with the person who stands behind those rules and fulfills those rules on your behalf because that person is your redeemer. You see, God buys people back from evil. He buys people back from sex trafficking and from drug addiction. He buys people back from condemnation and guilt and feeling like I'm only as good as the next big thing in my life. I'm only as good as the next big party I get invited to. I'm only as good as the next person I date. I'm only as good as the next test I ace. He buys people back from that. He buys us back from having to justify ourselves before our parents. Or even from having to justify ourselves before himself. You see, the big thing the Bible is pointing you towards is this. Is that God has seen your need. And he redeems you from it. He buys you back from it by dying for you on a cross. He takes your sin so that you would have his perfect, spotless, bulletproof standing. Like when God looks at you, he looks at you with the righteousness of Jesus. That it is as if you were the person who gave up their invulnerability and their power and their glory and you died on the cross for other people. God looks at you with that kind of standing, that kind of glory. And God has justified you and redeemed you in that. And if you're a Christian, your biggest problem is that you don't know how beloved you are. You don't know how much God loves you. And God's Word is constantly pushing you to the story of Jesus and saying, Look, look at Him. This is how much you're loved. You want a love relationship. This is how much you're loved. He doesn't want a phony. He wants the real you. He wants to speak with you. He wants to move in your life. He doesn't want to just leave you where you're at. He wants to redeem you and bring you out of things like pornography and pride and guilt and anger and shame. He wants a real relationship with you. And He'll pursue you in the world, and He pursues you through His Word. And so I'll end with this. I heard a story recently about a man who went to an estate sale. Um, he was kind of driving his car randomly one day, saw this sign on the side of the road, said estate sale this way. He pulls in, and if you've never been to an estate sale, it's like a nicer version of a garage sale. And he's walking around through this estate sale through this person's house, He's kind of picking up vases, uh, kind of looking at old cabinets, like just trying to see, like, is there anything here I want? And he comes across this old Fender Stratocaster guitar. And it was pretty beaten up. It didn't look like it would play anymore. But he's kind of into music or guitars. And he picks the guitar up and he takes it down to the guy who's doing the sale. And he asks him how much for the guitar. And the guy sells it to him for a song, like 150 bucks. Like it's nothing. So the guy buys it, and each of these guitars has a serial number on it. And so this man takes it back home, and he looks up this serial number, and when he looks it up, 
It says the guitar, even in the condition that it's in now, was worth $10,000 broken. And y'all, people are no different. That God is out pursuing you and that you are precious to Him, broken or not. He's after you in the world, through the beauty of the world. He calls to you. And it murmurs and says, go after Him. Look at Him. See how grand He is, how big He is, how beautiful He is. And it shows you who He is through His Word. That look at Him. See how much He loves you that He would die on a cross for you. He pursues you and He seeks you out. He goes after people who are broken because He values them. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray that you would help us to know you, to know you through your word, to trust you through your work in the world, and through the work of your son Jesus. God, that we would um, know how much you love us and how much you care for us. Lord, that we would live out of that. Lord, I think there's so many of us here who feel like if I'm not doing and doing and doing, I don't think I can ever get clean enough to approach you. Lord, and I think there's others of us here who feel like I can't, I don't want to do, I just want to know and know and know. I don't really love the people around me. And God, that's another way of doing. But Lord, I pray that through your word you would show us your son Jesus. That he tells us who you are, that he reveals who you are so that we actually know you. And that he calls us out into the world to love and to do and to serve. Not because we need to take a shower in front of you. God, because you've already made us clean. Because you love, but because you love us, and you call us to love people as ourselves, and you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray, God, that you would enable us to do that tonight through your Spirit and through your Word. In your sins, and we pray. Amen.